Section 14 of Complete Hypnotism, Mesmerism, Mind Reading, and Spiritualism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marion Martin. Complete Hypnotism, Mesmerism, Mind Reading, and Spiritualism by A. Alpheus. Chapter 11 a scientific explanation of hypnotism dr hart's theory in the introduction to this book the reader will find a summary of the theories of hypnotism there is no doubt that hypnotism is a complex state which cannot be explained in an off-hand way in a sentence or two there are however certain aspects of hypnotism which we may suppose sufficiently explained by certain scientific writers on the subject first what is the character of the delusions apparently created in the mind of a person in the hypnotic condition by a simple word-of-mouth statement as when a physician says now i am going to cut your leg off but it will not hurt you in the least and the patient suffers nothing in answer to this question professor william james of harvard college one of the leading authorities on the scientific aspects of physical phenomena in this country reports the following experiments make a stroke on a paper or blackboard and tell the subject it is not there and he will see nothing but the clean paper or board next he not looking surround the original stroke with other strokes exactly like it and ask him what he sees he will point out one by one the new strokes and omit the original one every time no matter how numerous the next strokes may be or in what order they are arranged similarly if the original single line to which he is blind be doubled by a prism of sixteen degrees placed before one of his eyes both being kept open he will say that he now sees one stroke and point in the direction in which lies the image seen through the prism another experiment proves that he must see it in order to ignore it make a red cross invisible to the hypnotic subject on a sheet of white paper and yet cause him to look fixedly at a dot on the paper on or near the red cross he will on transferring his eye to the blank sheet see a bluish-green after-image of the cross this proves that it has impressed his sensibility he has felt but not perceived it he had actually ignored it refused to recognize it as it were dr ernest hart an english writer in an article in the british medical journal gives a general explanation of the phenomena of hypnotism which we may accept as true so far as it goes but which is evidently incomplete he seems to minimize personal influence too much that personal influence which we all exert at various times and which he ignores not because he would deny it but because he fears lending countenance to the magnetic fluid and other similar theories says he we have arrived at the point at which it will be plain that the condition produced in these cases and known under a varied jargon invented either to conceal ignorance to express hypothesis or to mask the design of impressing the imagination and possibly prey upon the pockets of a credulous and wonder-loving public such names as mesmeric condition magnetic sleep clairvoyance electrobiology animal magnetism faith trance and many other aliases such a condition i say is always subjective it is independent of passes or gestures it has no relation to any fluid emanating from the operator it has no relation to his will 
or to any influence which he exercises upon inanimate objects. Distance does not affect it, nor proximity, nor the intervention of any conductors or non-conductors, whether silk or glass or stone, or even a brick wall. We can transmit the order to sleep by telephone or by telegraph. We can practically get the same results while eliminating even the operator, if we can contrive to influence the imagination, or to affect the physical condition of the subject by any one of a great number of contrivances. What does all this mean? I will refer to one or two facts in relation to the structure and function of the brain, and show one or two simple experiments of very ancient parentage and date, which will, I think, help to an explanation. First, let us recall something of what we know of the anatomy and localization of function in the brain, and of the nature of ordinary sleep. The brain, as you know, is a complicated organ, made up internally of nerve masses, or ganglia, of which the central and underlying masses are connected with the automatic functions and involuntary actions of the body, such as the action of the heart, lungs, stomach, bowels, etc., while the investing surface shows a system of complicated convolutions rich in grey matter, thickly sown with microscopic cells, in which the nerve ends terminate. At the base of the brain is a complete circle of arteries, from which spring great numbers of small arterial vessels, carrying a profuse blood supply throughout the whole mass, and capable of contraction in small tracts, so that small areas of the brain may, at any given moment, become bloodless, while other parts of the brain may simultaneously become highly congested. Now if the brain or any part of it be deprived of the circulation of blood through it, or be rendered partially bloodless, or if it be excessively congested and overloaded with blood, or if it be subjected to local pressure, the part of the brain so acted upon ceases to be capable of exercising its functions. The regularity of the action of the brain and the sanity and completeness of the thought which is one of the functions of its activity, depend upon the healthy regularity of the quantity of blood passing through all its parts, and upon the healthy quality of the blood so circulating. If we press upon the carotid arteries which pass up through the neck to form the arterial circle of Willis, at the base of the brain, within the skull, of which I have already spoken, and which supplies the brain with blood, we quickly, as everyone knows, produce insensibility. Thought is abolished, consciousness lost, and if we continue the pressure, all those automatic actions of the body, such as the beating of the heart, the breathing motions of the lungs, which maintain life and are controlled by the lower brain centers of ganglia, are quickly stopped, and death ensues. We know by observation in cases where portions of the skull have been removed, either in men or in animals, that during natural sleep the upper part of the brain, its convoluted surface, which in health and in the waking state is faintly pink, like a blushing cheek, from the color of the blood circulating through the network of capillary arteries, becomes white and almost bloodless. It is in these upper convolutions of the brain, as we also know, that the will and the directing power are resident, so that in sleep the will is abolished, and consciousness fades gradually away, as the blood is pressed out by the contraction of the arteries so also the consciousness and the directing will may be abolished by altering the quality of the blood passing through the convolutions of the brain we may introduce a volatile substance such as chloroform and its first effect will be to abolish consciousness and induce profound slumber and a blessed insensibility to pain the like effects will follow more slowly upon the absorption of a drug 
such as opium or we may induce hallucinations by introducing into the blood other toxic substances such as indian hemp or stramonium we are not conscious of the mechanism producing the arterial contraction and the bloodlessness of those convolutions related to natural sleep but we are not altogether without control over them we can we know help to compose ourselves to sleep as we say in ordinary language we retire into a darkened room we relieve ourselves from the stimulus of the special senses we free ourselves from the influence of noises of strong light of powerful colours or of tactile impressions we lie down and endeavour to soothe brain activity by driving away disturbing thoughts or as people sometimes say try to think of nothing and happily we generally succeed more or less well some people possess an even more marked control over this mechanism of sleep i can generally succeed in putting myself to sleep at any hour of the day either in the library chair or in the brougham this is so to speak a process of self-hypnotization and i have often practised it when going from house to house when in the midst of a busy practice and i sometimes have amused my friends and family by exercising this faculty which i do not think it very difficult to acquire we also know that many persons can wake at a fixed hour in the morning by setting their minds upon it just before going to sleep now there is something here which deserves a little further examination but which it would take too much time to develop fully at present most people know something of what is meant by reflex action the nerves which pass from the various organs to the brain convey with great rapidity messages to its various parts which are answered by reflected waves of impulse if the soles of the feet be tickled contraction of the toes or involuntary laughter will be excited or perhaps only a shuddering and skin contraction known as goose skin the irritation of the nerve end in the skin has carried a message to the involuntary or voluntary ganglia of the brain which has responded by reflecting back again nerve impulses which have contracted the muscles of the feet or skin muscles or have given rise to associated ideas and explosion of laughter in the same way if during sleep heat be applied to the soles of the feet dreams of walking over hot surfaces vesuvius or fujiyama or still hotter places may be produced or dreams of adventure on frozen surfaces or in arctic regions may be created by applying ice to the feet of the sleeper here then it is seen that we have a mechanism in the body known to physiologists as the ideomotor or sensory motor system of nerves which can produce without the consciousness of the individual and automatically a series of muscular contractions and remember that the coats of the arteries are muscular and contractile under the influence of external stimuli acting without the help of the consciousness or when the consciousness is in abeyance i will give another example of this which completes the chain of phenomena in the natural brain and the natural body i wish to bring under notice in explanation of the true as distinguished from the false or falsely interpreted phenomena of hypnotism mesmerism and electrobiology i will take the excellent illustration quoted by dr b w carpenter in his old time but valuable book on the physiology of the brain when a hungry man sees food or when let us say a hungry boy looks into a cook-shop he becomes aware of a watering of the mouth and a gnawing sensation at the stomach what does this mean it means that the mental impression made upon him by the welcome and appetizing spectacle has caused a secretion of saliva and of gastric juice 
that is to say the brain has through the ideomotor set of nerves sent a message which has dilated the vessels around the salivary and gastric glands increased the flow of blood through them and quickened their secretion here we have then a purely subjective mental activity acting through a mechanism of which the boy is quite ignorant and which he is unable to control and producing that action on the vessels of dilation and contraction which as we have seen is the essential condition of brain activity and the evolution of thought and is related to the quickening or the abolition of consciousness and to the activity or abeyance of function in the will centres and upper convolutions of the brain as in its other centres of localization here then we have something like a clue to the phenomena phenomena which as i have pointed out are similar to and have much in common with mesmeric sleep hypnotism or electrobiology we have already i hope succeeded in eliminating from our minds the false theory the theory that is to say experimentally proved to be false that the will or the gestures or the magnetic or vital fluid of the operator are necessary for the abolition of the consciousness and the abeyance of the will of the subject we now see that ideas arising in the mind of the subject are sufficient to influence the circulation in the brain of the person operated on and such variations of the blood supply of the brain as are adequate to produce sleep in the natural state or artificial slumber either by total deprivation or by excessive increase or local aberration in the quantity or quality of blood in a like manner it is possible to produce coma and prolonged insensibility by pressure of the thumbs on the carotid or hallucination dreams and visions by drugs or by external stimulation of the nerves here again the consciousness may be only partially affected and the person in whom sleep coma or hallucination is produced whether by physical means or by the influence of suggestion may remain subject to the will of others and incapable of exercising his own volition in short dr hart's theory is that hypnotism comes from controlling the blood supply of the brain cutting off the supply from parts or increasing it in other parts this theory is borne out by the well-known fact that some persons can blush or turn pale at will that some people always blush on the mention of certain things or calling up certain ideas certain other ideas will make them turn pale now if certain parts of the brain are made to blush or turn pale there is no doubt that hypnotism will follow since blushing and turning pale are known to be due to the opening and closing of the blood vessels we may say that the subject is induced by some means to shut the blood out of certain portions of the brain and keep it out until he is told to let it in again End of section fourteen.